0: Welcome to the table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Darrell Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendrick Center at Dallas Theological Seminary, and my guest is David Bennett, who actually we've probably you're a veteran of foreign wars <laughs> is the way I like to refer to it. You've done the table with us several times. You've done yes. it. You've done it present. You've done it over Skype. Uh, I think I think you've done it about every way possible. I'm just a big fan, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just pleased to have you and, and our discussion here is is the whole area of same sex sexuality and the church. And uh, David has just written a book. If I don't know if I can grab a copy, sure. uh, it's titled "A War of Loves." <coughs> the foreword is by um, N. T. Wright, who I know is Tom. Yeah, me uh, too. <laughs> um, And the unexpected story of a gay activist discovering Jesus. The subtitle is is intriguing enough. Uh, published by Zondervan, just out. And uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about this and why you wrote it, et cetera. So let's let's back up and and talk about this now. Now for those of you who are familiar with you as one of our guests, they'll know this story but we need to review it for people who are yeah. who are just joining us perhaps for the first time. Um, talk a little bit about <clears throat> about how you got to writing this book.
1: So there are lots of different pieces that came together for for me to write it, but the first one was I've always, always, always known from the Lord Jesus since I was saved that he wanted to use my writing gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, you know, partially through my walk with Jesus, I would say that's the primary thing, that there was a time where I felt like he didn't want me to share that testimony yet and was hiding me and keeping me and building my character. And then there was a time where you know, I came on the team at Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. I was doing a lot of speaking and telling this testimony, this story, but there was a need to give someone something. Mm-hmm. And to be able to encapsulate all these very important aspects of how I came to the place I'm now at as a celibate, same-sex attracted, slash gay Christian. So I wanted to be able to give people the story in an encapsulated form so that they could really go away and think through it for themselves. Um, and I needed a book like that, you know, in my journey. And Wesley Hill wrote *Washed and Waiting, and that book was that for me. So I wanted this to be a kind of, version of that for other people the other reason i wrote it was also Nabil koresh he said to me you know before he passed away from cancer he said david you're gonna help much many more people enter the kingdom of god by writing a book than you ever will through speaking Hmm. and so it's partly the mode in which i needed to get this story out there and that i believe there's a message in it as well for the church today and how we can not just reach the LGBTQI community for Christ, but also create church contexts in which people can actually flourish. And I think that's the second step mm-hmm. of the apologetic we need is not just working out our theology or our ethics, but actually working out the practical reality of living bodied you know, church lives mm-hmm. where there's actually a network of community that could could mean that there are pathways of flourishing for people who might be celibate or um, pastoral strategies for people who might god might lead into a mixed orientation marriage so the kind of nitty-gritty of it as well i think we need to see apologetically that it actually lived out in flourishing as okay. well in our culture.
0: So let's let's back up here because we've assumed the writing of the book, which assumes your story, which assumes people know your story. Yeah. So you talked about testimony and giving a testimony. I, I take it that the testimonies were about your experience and what you had been through, and that that's what you've been doing with Rabbi Zacharias ministries is mm-hmm. is to speak into this area. So uh, so can we? Can, <laughs> it's a difficult question. Can you encapsulate in a couple of minutes kind of what that storyline? years
1: so the storyline is i was raised in an agnostic uh atheist home my mother became a christian uh i about three years in to you know before i was saved at the age of 19 and so there was this very strong sense in which you know, i said to my mother you have to choose between the delusion in your head and the real god you know sorry the delusion in your head and your real son standing right in front of you mm-hmm. so there is this activist mentality that i really imbibed from a young age that christianity was the reason that people like myself you know didn't have our rights and couldn't live a life of flourishing and then when i was uh 19 18 19 i ended up having a debate with my uncle where he actually predicted my salvation Mm -hmm. so david would be saved in three months time three months later um after that christmas lunchtime you know table talk with my un- debate with my uncle, I ended up uh, encountering Jesus Christ in a pub in the gay quarter of Sydney. Mm-hmm. and that completely turned my life upside down mm-hmm. and just the bare fact that God was real, you mm-hmm. know. And then there was this long path after that um, of reconciling my faith and sexuality. and finally, three years later, dedicating my life to Christ in the vocation of celibacy Mm -hmm. in Strasbourg, France. So this book tracks the whole story, Mm. gives you the background, the details, and right into... You know the theology and apologetics that's needed. Now, now
0: I I remember when we talked about this in Australia, um, just the two of us, when we were Uh. out out, uh, just visiting with each other at one point, that there was one part of the story that uh, the story that really captured my attention, and that was this gal who said, "Simply, can I pray for you?" Yeah. Uh, Um, I think that introduces kind of the relational bit. Uh, that I think we want to focus on. So talk a little bit about that, where you were at that part of the story and what that move meant to you in mm. terms of, of your total journey. I
1: think the thing that was really fantastic about this girl in the pub, this filmmaker, is that she didn't really look at me as any different. Mm-hmm. She just considered me as a human being who needed God like anyone else. Mm-hmm. And then God would kind of work that out with me. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't kind of like, oh, no, he's gay. Or mm-hmm. she just, oh, okay, but like, have you experienced the love of God? And I think that question is probably not a question that's really at the forefront of the church's mission at the moment mm-hmm. to try to reach the world. Mm-hmm. It's often, well, you need to behave before you believe. Mm-hmm. But actually, it really should be like "Belong." believe behave mm-hmm. you know and that's out of that acceptance and love of God and the community of the church that one is then able to believe mm-hmm. and then that one is then able to behave according to the gospel and the so
0: you guys were just just to fill it out a bit so you yeah. guys were visiting in a pub and you were having this discussion about God etc and mm. and she basically asked if she could pray for you and that struck you.
1: Yeah, I think that the question, have you experienced the love of God, completely stopped me in my tracks Mm -hmm. because I kind of had this idea that God was just a concept in a book that Mm -hmm. people were living up to, but not like a real living being. Hmm. And so when she asked me, have you experienced Mm -hmm. the love of God as a postmodern, it was like... (gasps) there's an experience here, you know, like, oh, you know, (laughs) 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 hello, you're speaking my language now, you know, I I want to have an experience, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so, but there was obviously another part of me was like, get away from this crazy fundamentalist, Mm, you know? mm. So there was definitely a war of loves that started in Mm -hmm. that moment between the old self and the new self, Mm -hmm. you know, that God's grace was already on me and Mm -hmm. working in me. So then, um, when she said that, I, I, I was kind of disarmed, mm-hmm. and there is also the aspect of her making a film about people who were, you know, dis- mentally disabled or um, had Down syndrome, etc. And that really spoke to me.
0: So there was an authenticity to her that you knew about before she'd even asked the question that also had had opened up the door for saying, maybe maybe this fundamentalist isn't as crazy as I thought.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then when she prayed for me, I was like, yeah, she's a fundamentalist. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she's like In the name of Jesus, by yeah. the blood of the Lamb. You know, yeah, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. wow, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so there was this interesting paradox that, i detected on the surface of Mm -hmm. how could she believe this religion that's so oppressive um to my community and yet do such good and be Mm -hmm. a source of love this Mm -hmm. just did not compute Mm. so i think that that is really the apologetic that we want to be talking about you know we always say love is the greatest apologetic Mm -hmm. and we might say that in a kind of trite way Mm -hmm. but do we actually practice it do we mm-hmm. actually offer that love and embody that love? And there's a love of, that's one of the other things I talk about in the thesis of the book is, you know, the LGBTQI community will often say love is love. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and really the thesis behind that is that love is God. So what I think love is, is the truly transcendent thing. Instead of love is revealed to me, you know, God is love. Mm-hmm. So not that love is God, but that mm-hmm. God is love. Mm-hmm. And that there are these two definitions of love, one that starts in the human experience, but the other that actually starts with God's self-revelation in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm wanting to say it's God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is where we have to start our identity as Christians. Mm -hmm. And that should be the ultimate identity that we have as Christians. So I had to discover that, though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had actually had to have that revealed to me, and it was through her love And her compassion that I was able to. One thing that Jesus has really been speaking to me about recently is that the healing and saving power of God flows through compassion. Hmm. So if we don't have compassion for others, it doesn't matter how true or right we are, that power of grace is not going to reach people through us. Mm -hmm. We become bigoted, brittle, and we don't please the Father but when we have the truth in us and his word abiding in us and we have this deep well of compassion that comes from experiencing the love of God then we can reach all the people that supposedly can't be reached by God
0: Yeah I, I, I this, we say something very similar that, that that this well is full of compassion it's also full of the experience of what it means mm-hmm. to participate in God's grace and forgiveness Absolutely yeah. And uh and in this Th- this relating part of of how we live out our convictions is actually extremely important. That we can we can know the right thing, but if we deliver it <clears throat> improperly or poorly, we're actually still wrong. Yeah. And so um, so that's an important part of what we're going to do. I want to talk about the the metaphor that you're weaving in the title, hmm. a war of loves. Um, and what I'm hearing. In what you're saying to me is, is that there are two kinds of ways that love is being defined. That's right. And then I'm also hearing within your story that there was this kind of uh, a war going <laughs> on within you at the same time. So it's like there are two layers to this. There's the layer of of thinking through what love actually is and where it comes from and how I should think yes. about it and define it. But then there also is this this conflict that was going on. Internally within you. So exactly, let, let's let's yeah. let's let's take them one at a time. It's more dynamic than that. But mm-hmm. we've but <laughs> that will ma- that conversation will make no <laughs> sense. So so let's talk about um, let's talk first about the, <clears throat> the the definition of love that you're wrestling with and the yes. way in which you see love and the way in which love is kind of competing itself. And I'll, let me set it up this way. Um, there's a there's a message that I do called uh, "What is Forgiveness of Sins For?" Yes, and it opens with uh, the words from a very famous song called "What's It All About," Alfie. <laughs> okay, which is from Burt Backrack, yeah. and and he's basically and he says this in the words as an unbeliever trying to make sense out of life, mm. and he lands in a place in which he says, "Well, basically, it's all about love," and and if. And I saw an interview in which he said, "Of all the lyrics that I've written, and of all the awards that I've won writing Mm -hmm. music, these are the lyrics I'm most proud of." Yeah, and and I call it a, I describe it as a cry from the public square. Mm -hmm. that, That sometimes when we look at musical lyrics we can see someone um, being very transparent about what they're wrestling with, yeah. and in the midst of that transparency you see either what they're hoping for or what they're longing for or whatever, and that yeah. song does that. And the thing that struck me about it was is that his answer's in the right bucket, if I can say it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, Love is obviously a very important part of what we get to experience that mm-hmm. elevates life. Um, but it's also very undefined.
1: Yes, and I think that that exactly, that ambiguity mm-hmm. was actually something that drove me towards the question of God in my own story. Mm-hmm. And there's the famous apologetic of desire from C.S. Lewis: If I find in myself some a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then I know that I was made for another world. And so I think that's exactly you put that. The, but the definition of love that we have without God's self-revelation, it's just kind of porous. Yes. It's amorphous. What mm-hmm. is it? And you're ever chasing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's f- like all the music I listened to before I became a Christian was full of that kind of yearning, mm-hmm. but then failure.
0: And it, and, it, and it's fleeting in the sense that it's so built upon, if I can say it this way, the emotional side of the experience or the, or the nature of the experience, you could say it either yeah. way. That it moves and shifts, and it doesn't have. You said porous. I think that's a great way to describe it. I I would see it as almost. Uns, it's there's an instability Ability. to it, yeah. and so uh, even though it's pursued and longed for, and you get glimpses of it, it 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 just. It doesn't work. So that's one kind of love where we just kind of have love out there and it's mm-hmm. all by itself. It's like, uh, and now I'm really going to date myself, there was an old, uh, anyone over over 50 is going to get this illustration, anyone under 50 has got to look it up, but there used to be this old uh, wall Paper thing that used to have love, and it was L O V E, and then there were all these funny colors behind it. But of course, what jumped out at you was the word love, you know L O V E. It was done that way; it wasn't written like a word. And 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 that's kind of the way I feel about about this kind of love. It's out there, and it, it's colorful, it's attractive, but but in the end, it, <laughs> it, totally it comes right. short. Okay, so that's one kind of love. And and that's the wor- that tends to be the lo- love the way the world talks about it and it's very a very self defining mm. kind of love that emanates out of what I am drawn to, um, but you're talking about a different kind of love. Yeah. So what kind of love are you talking about?
1: So Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about how we all have this self enforced ideology. He calls it our own logos. Mm-hmm. So God had to send His counter logos to contradict our word our logos our ideology of what reality existence love is Mm -hmm. and that it's only in the sending of jesus that that's broken open Hmm. so when peter's there with jesus at the garden of gethsemane and he tries to stop jesus from like going to the cross Mm -hmm. it's not the messiah that i signed up for you know (laughs) like where's this mighty messiah you're not not taking my (laughs) messiah to suffer (laughs) yeah yeah his definition of what a messiah should look like jesus says get behind me satan Mm -hmm. now i used to think that that was so mean i mean Mm -hmm. gosh he's just wanting to protect your life jesus like give him a break but actually it was the most compassionate thing god could have said Mm -hmm. to peter because it broke open his ideology of what everything should be like so that he could see the true and living god before him in jesus and so i think that that's something of like what i needed Mm -hmm. and what we all need is we all have this idea of what love should be what our life should turn out to be how we should be (laughs) but actually god needs to break that open with his Love and His power and His truth in Jesus, so that we can truly know Him, because that's the greatest good, and that's actually what love is in the first place. So, that's a bit of a fancy way of putting it, but we we need God to come in and and contradict some of the ways we think reality should be. So
0: the and and we're tracking down the same track. So let me use this yeah. picture. I, I say that what happens is, and we and we were talking about this first love that we were talking mm-hmm. about a minute ago where we do the defining, the arrow and the attention and the origin and the rootage for that love is very much residing in me and the arrow is very much pointed at me Internal, internally. Yeah. And what scripture does with that arrow is it takes these huge arms, mm-hmm. grabs the point of that arrow and pushes it the and, and the other way. <laughs> and not only that, not only it push it push the other way, but it doesn't start here. It comes from above and it flows Amen. through me, out, out the other way, and, and so um, and, and that that is uh, that is in one metaphorical picture, the struggle of, of spirituality. Absolutely, that that you rather than letting everything be defined on the way you see it and the way you want to control it and the way you do it, you're actually listening. To what it is God is doing and saying, you're you're responding to the Spirit that is within you. Yes, you're letting Him direct you outwards. You mm. see that the model is the way in which Christ came to serve, um, and it actually is the exact counter reverse of much of what the way culture teaches us to respond in the most yeah. generic kinds of ways. Yeah, and it ends up being genuine love.
1: Exactly, and then once you've tasted that love you're kind of spoiled for Mm. the ordinary (laughs) you know i say to my gay liberal friends you're just as boring as like the conservatives like (laughs) you're just as signed up to this idol of romantic love i'm bored like Uh i've met god like Uh you know let's move let's just let's fling wide those heavenly gates let's like open our moral imagination Mm -hmm. to a greater horizon Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of the heart cry behind my book Mm -hmm. is i feel like we shut ourselves down into fighting over this idol of marriage Mm -hmm which is really our incurved mm-hmm. view of what love should be. Mm-hmm. And we're all fighting over it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was like, maybe just for a moment, let's take our hands off that and look at the greater horizon of God's love.
0: Which, which is important because sometimes what happens in the marriage discussion is the single person gets completely left out of the equation. It's almost yeah. like they're a non-person.
1: Well, they're living for the greater often, yeah, not always, right. but they're often a sign of that greater horizon of God's love in Jesus, and mm-hmm. they're saying, "I'm going to live for that, and that's right. sufficient for me."
0: And that's First Corinthians seven. So, um, exactly. So, so we're. So we're in this conversation in which we're trying to really reorder and make sure our priorities are right relationally, and, and this does it. So, so the war of loves at one level is this competition between this kind of amorphous, porous love that where the arrow is self-directed, mostly, and, and, a, um, and an outward looking flowing love that flows out of the love of God and out of the relational love that God has within himself, uh, to and through us out to others. So that's that's one war going on. Okay. That's exactly it. And then the the other the other war that is going on is what I take it is was your own personal battle in the midst of this transition. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that, and then and then I'm gonna tell you where I'm going, so you, so you can kind of know where we're headed. Mm-hmm. You use three adjectives to describe yourself earlier, so I'm gonna go through them one at a time eventually. So <laughs> okay, okay? yeah, because so um so we have a full portrait. So so first, let's talk about the loves.
1: The loves. Well, there's so many levels of this. The first one I'd say is I always like to put God first. Mm-hmm is the wrestle between the spirit of God Mm -hmm. and my flesh, Mm -hmm. as the Bible puts it, or the old man Mm -hmm. or the old... I mean, we use the word identity, but that can also be a bit clunky. Mm -hmm. But that old vestige of who I once was, Mm -hmm. now I'm born again and I'm a new man. And so the actual process of salvation leading to sanctification, Mm -hmm. where I could offer my body up as a living sacrifice freely. Mm -hmm. But there was a big war over my body and mm-hmm. whether i would really offer it up or not mm-hmm. and so that all is the first kind of three to four years of my walk with christ um people often say to me but you know repentance and i was like yeah the repentance started then but it finished yeah. you know three or four years later when i changed my views on sexuality and gave my body to christ and had gone through sanctification um so that's the first level i would say and the second level was The um, real war over uh, kind of how I would live my life Mm -hmm. and what I would be defined by. And so the war of identity, what is your ultimate identity? Mm -hmm. thing is you can be celibate, you can live a Christian life. You know, there's a whole thing of John Wesley talks about the almost Christian. Mm -hmm. You can do celibacy out of kind of a moral duty because Mm -hmm. you should instead of, Living that celibacy out of a self gift to Mm -hmm. God, so Mm -hmm. that would be the other level of the war of loves. Like, am I doing it out of law, or am I doing it out of grace Mm. that then fulfills the law? You know, so that would be the other other level.
0: Interesting. So, um, I'm I'm a little bit lost as to which direction to go next because I got two ideas in my head. Um, (laughs) uh, I have that problem all the time (laughs) with this topic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so you you talk about the fact that repentance is really a start and not a finish. Let, let's let's develop that a little bit. So, you, you, I take it your point here is is that what the repentance expressed was a desire mm. to go a certain way. Yeah. But then there's the actual day to day execution of that desire, which mm-hmm. is a whole another layer uh, 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 to work through.
1: Yes. Exactly. I think we have to then walk out our repentance. Mm-hmm. And human beings, we're fickle, we're broken, we're fallen, and so we don't always do that very well. But though a righteous man falls seven times each time the Lord lifts him up, Mm -hmm. so I experienced that. Mm -hmm. But the number seven also having a sense of the idea that God's leading that person to a completion. Mm -hmm. And there was a kind of completion moment for me, but I needed to fall seven times Mm -hmm. And then some more (laughs) Mm -hmm. before I really found the path of righteousness, that, that narrow path of Jesus, where I was living my vocation of celibacy out in a way that wasn't about trying to look good or be right or please a Christian culture, but actually it was in response to God's love and grace. Mm-hmm. That's so important because you can have bad celibacy, like mm-hmm. you can have bad marriage, mm-hmm. bad Christian marriage, <laughs> bad Christian celibacy. Mm-hmm. So learning the the deeper way and sacred calling of that celibacy was really, really vital for me. Mm. Um, and it's meant that I've been able to flourish and have joy and not feel like I'm kind of this sad, sad,
2: This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how Evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.
1: Uh my life's full of goodness. So it's not suffering celibacy. It's it's There's it, suffering, but it's like it leads to glory instead Mm -hmm. of just suffering Mm -hmm. you know it's like we participate in the sufferings of christ so that we may participate in his glory Mm. so yeah it's it's and this is what i've been studying at oxford through sarah coakley and Mm -hmm. other theologians is this what is called a truly christian asceticism Mm -hmm where there's like a false asceticism, like I'm trying to do this Mm -hmm. in my own effort Mm -hmm. and through striving and to look strong morally. Mm -hmm. And then there's a Christian asceticism that's like through my weakness, God is strong. And I give this up for a greater good, mm-hmm. um, and that's been a fascinating journey of looking at the two different kinds of s- self-denial—the kind of counterfeit one and the real Christian one.
0: Okay, little sidebar here for people: um, David is Australian who is doing his doctoral work at Oxford currently. Yes, so you've heard the name Sydney and you've heard the name <laughs> Oxford. So, uh, so that's where those pieces fit in. Let's let's go back to the, the self-description used earlier because this. Triggers controversy for some people. Yeah, um, I, I think I got all the pieces. You said you were celibate, same-sex oriented, gay Christian. Okay, so I think I think that I think I got the three categories right. Um, so, and, and I take it all the pieces are important and the order is important. So, so let's go through them one at a time. Well. It's interesting
1: in this. So the first thing I'd say is like a kind of foundation stone Mm
3: -hmm.
1: is I only mean the word gay in a very specific sense. I think the word gay, the reason I say slash same sex attracted is because when I say that some Christians might think that that means I'm sexually active Mm -hmm. or I'm seeking to live out in a gay relationship. And that's precisely not what I mean by it. <laughs> I that's mean, why
0: celibate's first.
1: Celibate first, exactly, yeah. or at least attached somewhere. Right, right, right. <laughs> However, it gets yeah, written yeah. out. Sometimes yeah. it gets written in the wrong order. Okay. But I would prefer it that way. So, I, I don't necessarily feel comfortable to call myself just a gay Christian. Uh-huh. I feel like that's too undefined, a bit like love is love. Like, uh-huh. you know? Right. But what I do mean by that word is that my sexual orientation mm-hmm. is entirely independent of my sexual ethic. Mm -hmm. So I think what people don't understand is just because you're gay or same-sex attracted does not mean you have to go and have a gay marriage. Mm -hmm. Why are those two joined? Mm -hmm. No, I can be gay and choose to follow Jesus Mm -hmm. and submit that to him. Mm And live that out in obedience through grace and through celibacy or if God gives me the grace through mixed orientation
0: marriage. And that's what you mean by mixed orientation is a mixed orientation marriage. This is good because we're getting defined terms we've been using. Mm-hmm. Um, a mixed orientation marriage is a marriage in which you marry a uh, a heterosexual partner, if I can say mm-hmm. it that way, even though you're same-sex attracted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and a woman, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> just just to, make
1: important. That, yeah. to make that very, very clear. Um, And I have friends who have experienced that grace uh-huh. and, you know, that are are gay or same-sex attracted. So I think what we're seeing is a shift in the definition mm-hmm. of a popular level view of what it means to be gay. Okay. A prophetic witness mm-hmm. to that, Community and saying there's another way to live this out that it can be. Submitted and
0: the to reason it's important uh, that this is the heart of the conversation I want to get to. The reason this is important to to put all those adjectives there is to communicate to someone who's only mm-hmm. same sex attracted that um, I I sh- I share and understand part of your experience. Mm-hmm.
1: I think also for me, I mean, this is a more subjective reason Okay, is that being a gay activist, I've been in the gay world and I've seen that it's not all evil and terrible Mm -hmm. and licentious and, Mm -hmm. you know, the gay lifestyle, like Mm -hmm. as people say, and I get what they mean by that. Mm -hmm. But there isn't really like, there's a whole lot of people who are just human trying to like work out life Mm -hmm. in this community that are loved of God Mm -hmm. and not everything is just evil, sinful and bad. Mm Mm-hmm there are good things that exist in the gay community that, mm-hmm. you know. But that being said, of course, like, there's ideals and beliefs and values that I completely disagree with.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I want to be able to enter that community and join that conversation at the table. Mm-hmm. And the word gay gives me a capacity to do that.
0: And same-sex attracted helps as well. I mean, With the
1: Christian it, yeah. community that maybe doesn't feel comfortable with the word gay because of their experience of maybe being persecuted right. or treated terribly or they think gay means a certain thing like you're definitely sexually active or right
0: in fact you mark know. carhouse talks about this that when you hear terms like same sex attracted or gay you've got to think about the different ways in which that term can be used. There's the person who may be inclined that way, but hasn't done anything. There's the person who's maybe has had a single experience that 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 has caused them to use that terminology. And then there's a the person who's kind of all in. Yeah. And um, and that those are actually three very different levels and three different very different levels to mm-hmm. be aware of. That people, when they're using the term, and perhaps using it sloppily, you can't distinguish between. But it's important to be able to distinguish between those layers.
1: And I've also had people from the gay world say to me, "You're not really gay because you don't adopt my these certain sets of beliefs or values." Uh-huh. And I'm really wanting to say, "No, that's not the definition of gay. Yeah. The definition of gay is just your sexual orientation." Yeah. So that's a live conversation that I. I probably don't want people to get too tangled in because it's complicated, but I think that we are called to go out there and be a Jew to a Jew, a Greek to a Greek. Paul used his Roman citizenship to reach Rome. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, I I see this as a an opportunity for witness and an opportunity to boast in my weakness. Mm -hmm. That God didn't isn't using me uh, in spite of my weakness as a in same sex attraction, but. Precisely through it,
0: and the and the trump card, if I can say it this way, <laughs> yeah. is, uh, is is the celibate at the start and the Christian at the end.
1: Absolutely, and that Christian's the noun. Mm-hmm. I think we have to think syntactically. In French, you put the adjectives after the noun, mm-hmm. which I would prefer. So you'd say chrétien, mm-hmm. célibat, gay. Mm-hmm. But in our, you say, you know, you don't say Christian celibate gay. Mm-hmm. You say celibate gay christian Mm -hmm. because that's how we put adjectives together Mm -hmm. so it's not an ordering it's not oh first is my celibacy second is me being Mm -hmm. same-sex attracted and third is christian Mm -hmm. (laughs) no christian is the noun jesus is my ultimate identity but this is the other point i want to make Mm -hmm. and this is an anthropological point Mm -hmm. that when we're saved we're not erased Mm -hmm. that god is transforming the old creation into a new creation instead of destroying like yes we're crucified but that old body that died is the site that the resurrection takes place in and is revivified into a completely new creature. So I'm in the now but not yet tension mm-hmm. of that transformation. Mm-hmm. I do not believe that gay is going to it. When I get into this discussion, to to
0: I remind gay. people that Paul, even as an apostle in the pastorals towards the end of life said, I am the chief of sinners. And so, so he never forgets where he came from and who he is apart from Christ and why he needs Christ. Exactly. And so, um, so, so this is this is part of that same same conversation. Absolutely. I, I want to go back to something that I dropped earlier um, because we went this way and and come back to it, and that's the imagery of the old and new man. Uh, because one way that we talk about the imagery of the old and new man is is this the the internal struggle of the now, not yet, as you mm-hmm. as, as you've very graphically um, described it, and we and I think most people when they think of old and new man, think about old and new man as an individualized yeah. description of internal psychology That's or, or internal anthropology. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's another way the Bible uses the term, uh, and I have in mind here the descriptions in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 where the text says, um, in the new man there's no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, and, and the joke that I make about this is <laughs> – when I go into the doctor and I say, Doc, I'm sick, mm-hmm. and he does his analysis, of, does my blood work, cetera, he doesn't come back to me and say, you know, Daryl, your problem is you got too many barbarians and Scythians inside of you, that are, and if we can just get the balance right, you'll be okay. That's not an individualized image. That's a corporate image. That's an image about who I identify with and who I'm connected to yes. and who I'm interacting with. So part of this conversation is about thinking through who I, who, and what I identify with and what I connect to so that when – when I respond Christianly, I am aligning myself to being a part of the new man, the new community, mm. and the community that I represent. Yes, um, and in re- reflecting Him in that way, I, I used to have a old joke. This goes back to a conversation my sister in law had with my wife years ago, right after we were married. She took all her her less than one hundred percent cotton shirts, anything that had any polyester in it, handed it to my. Uh, Poor sister, because my mm-hmm. poor wife, who's her sister, because at the time we were seminary students and she was feeling mm-hmm. sorry for us because, you know, seminary students don't make a lot of money. Yeah. And um, she said, I only wear Ralph Lauren Polo t shirts. I only wear 100% cotton and then handed her all these, shir- these mixed shirts. And my joke was, she just made a very theological statement. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because she's saying, I see myself in a certain way. And I wear certain clothes as a result to reinforce the way yeah. I see myself and what I think I represent by wearing those clothes. Yes. And certain things don't fit with that identity. Yeah. And that's the corporate identity—the old man and new man—the way Scripture sees it. We're supposed to see ourselves as part of this community that God has has called to to holiness hmm. and to uh, living in a way that is honoring Him and reflects His character. And so, as a result, certain things should be—and I'm saying this carefully—should be separated from that identity. And that's another way in which the old man and new man works. Absolutely.
1: Well, I think that's true. I mean. When, if you looked at the way I live my life now, Mm -hmm. it's definitely, it's identified with the local church, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's in the local church, but as a evangelist, I'm sent from the local church into the world to relate to it. Exactly. And I think one of, that's why we need both of those. Because if we just have one, Mm -hmm. I think we're tempted towards making our old man somehow to elevating that too much, mm-hmm. instead of using it as a way to witness mm-hmm. to that new identity, which is what I'm trying to do, and out of that new, and ide- out of, of that, that new, new identity. identity, exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, it's uh, th- 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 my joke is again talking about the Great Commission. I'm full of jokes today. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't say go into the church and make disciples. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it says go into the world and make disciples. So, so there's this representation uh, part of what's going on. Well, um, so. and if
1: you look at just quickly, if you look mm-hmm. at how radical Paul was to his brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things that motivates me mm-hmm. is that Paul was looked down on, like wasn't valued. Like his ap- apostolic identity was being attacked all the time because he believed Gentiles didn't need to obey
0: certain didn't need to become com- Jews. In order to, to become, become Jews, Christians. Christians. Yeah
1: and that's where like i don't think they're equivalent Mm -hmm. with the sexuality conversation but i think there is an element of that Mm -hmm. that we need to retain in this conversation that especially for me being reached in a pub Mm -hmm. i mean there's a very deep connection i feel with apostle paul Mm -hmm. because he was abnormally born he wasn't like saved in a church Mm -hmm. you know right right (laughs) kind of happened out there right (laughs) god was doing this new thing and everyone didn't know he got caught he got (laughs) 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 got seized (laughs) yeah but he still identified with the church everything he Mm -hmm. did was to bless the jerusalem church and i think that's a really interesting story just to think about in our modern day conversation about sexuality is that god is going to move and there's going to be some of those who come i mean out of like me I think mm-hmm. I'm just one of many actually there's so many more people that are going to be brought into the kingdom so the question is the church is how do we welcome the poles, mm-hmm. you know but also maybe like yeah the tension between the Paul and the Peter mm-hmm. I suppose
0: yeah so um so l- let me ask you this question because uh, we're running out of time. Because uh, we've talked a lot about your own personal story, your own interaction. Mm-hmm. I want to turn the discussion now to thinking about what advice would you give to people? Because I think I, I think loads of people who I've had conversations with ever since we started doing these podcasts, and particularly as we've done mm. many, many podcasts on this particular topic. I mean, we have sliced it and diced it from about every angle yeah. possible, um, and and. And I, here's, here's the typical thing that I hear. Um, I moved into a new neighborhood or I've been in my neighborhood a long time and I just realized that someone down the street um, is gay or that there's a gay couple and I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do I interact and relate to them. I'm, 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 the, the question communicates a huge loss of orientation about how to mm. think about doing the engagement. Um, what advice would you give?
1: So, the first thing I say is that God is present in the world. Mm -hmm. So, God's already aware of this gay couple. Mm -hmm. God knows every hair on their head, what they're up to. Like, he's aware. Mm -hmm. So, just really realize you have a good partner to reach them with.
0: And that's a point to make to help them relax a little bit, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think I, early on in my Christian walk, I thought God didn't know things Mm -hmm. that you know i knew because of my experience. it's like no god really knows about that like yeah. he's an yeah. expert yeah you know so first of all pray uh-huh. listen to the lord um try to see access his heart for those people mm-hmm. so that you're not judging them or looking down on them or thinking i'm holier and better and they're evil sinners and this kind of dualism mm-hmm. but actually be aware of your own weakness the own way, your own way that you were saved so from that's Sam. the well
0: of compassion and grace that we talked about earlier that if you recognize yeah. where you yourself came from and that God reached out to you when your back was turned to God that's actually not a bad starting place to think really, about how you were like.
1: really good one I, I sometimes think of Jesus with a woman at the well that I feel like he must have been ministering out of his own temptation life that mm-hmm. he was himself was tempted mm-hmm. and that he knew that the living waters were the solution and mm-hmm. that he Really wanted to give this woman that solution because she'd been looking every other place but that,
3: Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm.
1: And so I think trying to have that in your mind of what is it that this gay couple is really seeking? Luther said, you know, often it's the people who are going to all the wrong places, you know, that are actually. Closer to God, but they're just worshiping. They're like more passionate worshipers than the people in the pews. They just don't have the right object Mm -hmm. for their adoration and for their devotion. So think of someone like I often with my like gay friends or people from different horizons. I just talk about how awesome God is and how much I love him and what the beautiful like satisfaction I find in worshiping him And they're just like, what? You know, (laughs) really? And it's like, what do you mean? There's like something else that's like a pleasure or satisfaction that I can get Mm -hmm. that's better than what I have. Mm -hmm. And that's attractive to them. It's like a positive moral vision of Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. that they've never seen before. Mm. And then they become curious. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, you know, Jesus. And you can present the gospel. And you haven't even broached the topic of homosexuality or sexuality yet. That's right. You're talking about life. You're just pointing to a higher transcendence than to the one that they've. Signed up for, mm-hmm. so really, like the idolatrous heterosexual couple down the road should be as concerning to you as the gay couple, right, right, right. You know, and how can you lead them into a higher life with God? Um,
0: okay, so the subtle the subtle point that you've just made is mm. is that sometimes we create this hierarchy of levels of seriousness of sin, mm. and in the process uh, negate the fact that the, that we're. we're we're all sinners and and we're, we're surrounded <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and yeah. in the midst of that, everyone has needs for God. Uh, their needs might be in different places, but they're yeah. there and and so that also ratchets down a little bit of the pressure because we tend to treat this as a an exceptional or other category from mm-hmm. the stuff we're we, we say in our heads we're used to dealing with.
1: The other thing is don't fall into the trap of reducing someone down to that mm-hmm. so i think the other trap there is oh they're gay mm-hmm. and all i see them as is that's yeah, the
0: only lynch you see them instead of
1: me. hi johnny nice to meet you you're right. a human being like me and right right i see them as god sees them mm-hmm. not as reduced by their sexual orientation but as a fool or someone that god deeply loves that god deeply wants to save if they don't know him then you might have the gay Christian married couple down the road. That mm-hmm. could be another uh-huh. situation. What do you do then? Well, they already kind of believe in God and Jesus and stuff. Uh-huh. And that's a trickier one because mm-hmm. they'll probably have an opinion. They'll probably have studied scripture. And that's where you need to say, you know, be, more, might be a bit more prepared mm-hmm. apologetically. But again, just keep pointing to that there's this greater... Life in Christ that maybe they're not experiencing. Okay,
0: and and you you, this this second example surfaces the next question I wanted to ask is probably the last thing we have Mm -hmm. time for. Yeah, which is how do you balance um, where your convictions are with relating to someone whose convictions aren't where your convictions are?
1: Yeah, and I think that there's first of all being really good at agreeing. A disagreeing agreeably. hmm how, how, are you good at that? Mm-hmm. Just practice it. Yeah. You know, maybe with your husband or your best friend, and just get them to say <laughs> something You're good, that at reasonably really, good at really good really at your d- spouse.
0: So you got a problem. Go ahead.
1: Know. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, so maybe it, it'll be advantageous on other levels. But uh, <laughs> but you know, be really good at that. Mm-hmm. Be really good at not being threatened mm-hmm. by someone else's other opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You think that? Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Well, yeah. you know, I've always thought about it this way, or you know, and just don't just don't be threatened. Mm-hmm. Don't get you're like heckles up, you Mm -hmm. know, and you're like ready for to pounce. Like just just be like, okay, I could understand why they might think that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and in my conversation with them, I'm going to continually be a source of truth and love to the point where maybe down the line there'll be permission to speak into that and hopefully lead them closer to the truth.
0: And the way that's going to take you to that place probably is by other – in every other area relating to them, in very healthy ways and very positive ways, that where the where you build enough trust that the person can say, you know what, I think I can trust this person with this conversation.
1: Can I bring up one example that's really hard, just mm-hmm. quickly before we end? Yeah. what if that person is teaching that as doctrine? Yeah.
0: Now that is uh,
1: Daryl. What do you do? Dan? Can you help me? <laughs> now, are, now, okay,
0: I'm supposed to be asking questions. Um, yeah. Well, I I, I think you, I, I, you know, this is the challenge of the church. The challenge yeah. of the church is how does it get its message for what it believes in out well? And and I have a line that I use uh, that goes something like this: We used to be able to say in this culture, it's true because it's in the Bible. Now we have to say it's in the Bible because it's true. Mm. It's not the same thing.
1: Yeah, that's really good.
0: And so I have to ask myself the question why is it that God says that heterosexual marriage is better? Why is it that God says uh, a monogamous relationship is better? You know, just go through the list and ask yourself what is it about the way God has ordered the world that makes that a more uh, appropriate, effective, efficient, uh, mm-hmm. honoring way to live, yeah. and in the midst of asking those questions to say, when you teach something contrary to that, you are demeaning um, what the quality of life that people are designed to have in one way or another, and 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 you do that, you do that as. As directly as clearly and as compassionately as you can, but you make the point, mm-hmm. and and so I think you're right. When someone is teaching that, that can't it can't be ignored because because that is opening, that's inviting people to walk down yeah. in a direction that's that in the end, you're arguing is actually does the person damage, yeah. and you're trying to help the person. Uh, so, uh, but it but the. Uh, the hard part is learning how to do it in a way that communicates the concern that you have for people in the midst of trying to make the the correction yes and um and that i think that just takes a lot of work cuz our in, our tendency is to w- either want to win the debate or mm. or something like that the other
1: thing is like trying to get that person i mean i often thought about this is how do i how am I able to invite them into the life of the spirit? Mm-hmm. Where there might be something that's blocking them, mm-hmm. that's actually way deeper than even this question. Yeah,
0: and uh, and that to that, I think actually our earlier conversation applies. I, I often say to people, when you meet someone whose background is completely different than your own, and you know their worldview is completely different than your own, the first thing you want to do is get what I call a spiritual GPS on that person. Yeah, you want to ask a lot of questions. You want mm-hmm. them to tell their life story. You want to sit back and listen. You want to put your doctrinal and heresy meter on mute. Okay. <laughs> (laughs) You can't do away with it, but you wanna you wanna save it for later. You're not you're not hearing the person respond to you and your first response is, What am I gonna do to rebut the thing that I just heard? That's you're not going there. What Mm. you're gonna do is you're trying to get a map to understand what's driving this person. What are they looking for? What are they living for? Yeah. Those kinds of things. And you're looking for something in that Search quest and self revelation if they've trusted you enough to do that because if they do that they're communicating a level of trust to you um, that you want to honor and respect uh, and you what door will they open into which the gospel might speak yes
1: and that's exactly I mean I was at a university with a gay activist at a uh, interfaith dialogue about gay marriage and. Um, In this conversation, everyone was like, yeah, I'm happy with gay marriage from all the different faiths. And it came to me and I was like, well, I'm actually a celibate, same-sex attracted slash gay Christian. And no, I'm not for gay marriage in the church at all. I think it's not right. And, you know, and then I explained why. And I presented the gospel and I talked about the triune God of love who made male and female to reflect diversity within unity and embodied that in male and female and that this is deeply important to him not to oppress or condemn lgbtqi people from mm-hmm. he didn't have that in mind yeah <laughs> but to delineate that diversity and unity that is shown within his own nature as as the god of love and so i said that and the gay activist kind of looked at me and he said huh i suppose sex does get a bit old after a while." And I said, well, honey, worship doesn't. <laughs> and so, I mean, I was like, that was good. Where did that come from? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And again, the Holy Spirit giving me the words to say, but again, pointing to that higher form of transcendence. I really think for me, that is one of the most, the biggest tools that I Paint have. Paint a different picture of what Paint life ought to be. That worship that never gets old. Yeah. That you think you're going to find transcendence in this sexual desire, but actually. You're going to find something far greater, more beautiful in worshiping God. Hmm. You know that will last.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a great place for us to land. So, uh, thank you, David, for coming in as always. This is always a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. And we thank you for joining us on the table. Hope you've enjoyed this conversation, and hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit
2: dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.